You're probably wondering why I called you all here today. So you could say that terrible overused line? High five! Don't talk to me. But I was just... Bob, your son is literally human garbage. And if he doesn't stop talking to me, I'm going to masticate his soul. Hmm. Oh, Duncan's a grown-ass man. He can fight his own battles. But, Pop, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Hal, what is that noise? You mean you guys all talking while I'm trying to conduct a crucially important employee meeting? Is that what this is? You told me Batman was going to be here. He told me there was going to be beer. There isn't any beer. Batman told you there was going to be beer? I'm talking about that hum. Don't you hear that? That? That's the life support system aboard the space station. Hey, yeah, and since when did we start doing the show on a space station? I thought we recorded in a submarine. I get tired of locking myself in closets for an acoustically viable recording environment, so I've relocated our space to here. In space. If you came up here for the quiet, that noise sort of defeats the purpose. It's life support. Apparently we need that so you prima donnas can breathe oxygen. You know, it wouldn't be hard to just filter that out. Oh, Joe, that reminds me. After we work on more Orson material, I want to talk to you about playing Winston Churchill. Okay, well, I just had some technical suggestions is all, being as I am a certified audio engineer. But if you want me to just keep doing stupid voices for fat men, I guess that's fine too. Okay, good. So, are we going to be recording up here permanently? Here in space? Ideally, yes. That submarine shtick was growing stale. Not to mention that nobody actually ever remembered that we were supposed to be recording from a submarine. And I figured with the new season of the show, it was time to make a few changes. It's just, it's a bit of a commute getting into orbit every few weeks just to play somebody's wife or girlfriend. I think I have a little kid voice for you this time. Oh, good. Oh, wait, that's for Sabrina. Yay! Look at it this way, Danielle. At least you don't have to drive to our house in Renton anymore. Nobody outside of Seattle is going to get that. When has that ever stopped us? Hang on, did you say new season? What does that even mean? Oh, God, I wish you hadn't asked that. What? Why? Well, you see, Nate, every so often I determine that the show's format is in need of a bit of retooling and I draw a line. Everything prior to that uh, line is I made one of those Al speeches happen again, didn't I? I usually just trick him into locking himself in a closet when this happens. But I guess I'm going to need a new strategy now. I usually just walk away when he does this. Uh, I have a question. Uh, yeah, Sabrina? What is this list you've put up on the main view screen? We have a main view screen? Of course we have a main view screen. That's the casting list for this episode. Okay, but for 18601, it just has each of our names listed twice. Uh, that's this behind the scenes bit. You're all playing yourselves. Uh, well, I was hoping I could play Matt. Back off, Wallace. So we're playing fictional versions of ourselves? As written by you? That's right. That seems problematic. How so? Well, if we, playing us, say whatever you make us say, that's potentially misleading. Like, we could all just suddenly jump to attention and start chanting. You guys are too kind. Come on, Matt, the show's about to start. But if this is a sketch, doesn't that mean the show's already started? Al? Al! God damn it. I hate you, Duncan. This is the Sarcastic Voyage Podcast. Featuring the Sarcastic Voyage unpaid voice acting players. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham.
guests. Hi, hello, and welcome to the Sarcastic Voyage Podcast. He's Matt Robotham. And he's Ron Algar Watt. <laughs> what was that? What was what? We have a really exciting show for you. We made some tweaks to the format. We had a format? <laughs> there it was again. I don't know what you're... Some tweaks to the format, and we think you'll enjoy the direction of the show. Additionally, we brought back an old favorite. Wait, what now? I didn't tell you this before the show, Matt, because I wanted it to be a surprise. Bring it out, boys! Oh, no, don't, don't, don't tell me, no. That's right, it's the old Wheel of Mashups. I thought we finally freed ourselves from the unspeakable tyranny and horror of that thing back in episode... Uh... 169. We did. But I thought it was time to bring it back. Al, this thing was a bad idea the first time around. All it did was encourage us to write lazy sketches that, more often than not, somebody else on the internet already came up with and put on a t-shirt. Exactly. People love this kind of stuff, and since when were you opposed to things that make writing less work? I guess we should give this stupid thing a spin, then. Yes, let's. And I got, let's see, My Little Pony. Well, friendship is magic, apparently. Now let me go ahead and do a thing I swore I'd never do again. And it's the Sopranos. Well, that's easy enough. My little Tony, obviously. We'll see if Joe can do a decent James Gandolfini, and let's see. What, no fucking Pinkie Pie now? This thing practically writes itself. <laughs> okay, seriously, what the hell is that noise? Al, that's the audience. Somehow, beyond all rational explanation, they're laughing at our dumb, terrible jokes. Ugh. Fucking laugh tracks are the worst. They're everything that's wrong with comedy. How can we pace the show the way we want? Ad, ad, Al, it's not a laugh track. It's an actual studio audience. One that we brought up here to this space station at considerable expense. I will not have my comedy ruined by some audience. Now, I want you all to listen to me very carefully. You may stay here if, and I want to be perfectly clear on this point, only if you keep your idiotic caterwaul into yourselves. I didn't write your laughter, and I'll be damned if you're going to ruin this show with it. That's more like it. Now let's get on with it. Well, enjoy the show, ladies and gentlemen. Sugar Crunch Cereal presents The Radio Adventures of Matt and Algar, starring Sabrina Snyder as Dottie. Our story so far. A coalition of representatives from the Orbit Cops and the Bureau of Technical and Tactical Outer Space Management have split into small teams in an attempt to foil the evil Archduke Pachinko's invasion of Earth. We join BOTTOM Chief Carla and Commander Slap Strongarm as they approach the mothership of the robot invasion fleet. And now, today's episode Into the Electric Brain. Here, let me get that for you. Oh, uh. Thank you. And uh, just let me slip in front of you and open this one. Thanks. Hold on, there's another door. Let me just... Commander, we've shrunk down to the size of subatomic ants. This section of the mothership, from our perspective, is an endless procession of doors. We'll never get to the brain hub if you keep running ahead to open the doors for me. But I thought... I am the highest ranking officer in the furthest reaching law enforcement agency mankind has ever assembled. I think I'm capable of opening a door. It's the responsibility of every good citizen to show the proper level of respect to the fairer sex. I learned that back in Astro Weeblos. All right. You know what? 
I've checked the plans, and there's a switch that opens all these passages. How about you go pull that switch, and we can consider this open door matter closed. Very good. You know, I was responsible for picking who went on what team. I should have found a special mission just for him. What's this now? Miss, uh, miss, look out! That electrical field is coalescing into some sort of monster! We're in a machine, Commander. There are no monsters here. Except you. <laughs> miss, miss, are you alright? I'm fine, Commander Strongarm. Let's go shut down that computer now. Alright, good. Oh, would you get that door for me? My pleasure. I just can't wrap my head around it. Oh, it's a real puzzler. I mean, a time traveler comes here from the future, looks right past us, and points his finger of destiny at Dr. Malengo's horrible wife? Dames, try to figure him. That was surprisingly unenlightened of you. So what do you think is so special about her? Maybe there's a henpecking shortage in the future and they need her to repopulate the species? You think? She strikes me as one of those not-tonight-I-have-a-headache types. What is with you today? Sorry, it is a bit uncharacteristic of me, I know. I guess I'm still shaking off the effects of that somnambuloid ray that put us to sleep for our long voyage into the future. I thought it was radioactive gas. No, I'm sure it was... What the hell was that? I think whatever it is that's been bringing this lab to wherever it's bringing it has brought it. That makes total sense. Mission Log. Cadet Dottie recording. It would appear that Cadet Gary of the Orbicops has been lost in action. The cadet fell into a large chasm that opened up without warning, and I have been unable to find any trace of him. The area in question is currently swarming with oversized lizards and amphibians. I'm doing my best to keep the monsters at bay. This is for you, Gary. Tune in again for our next exciting installment, Planetfall on Neptune. Only on the Sarcastic Voyage Podcast. Sarcastic Voyage has embarked on a modest undertaking to chronicle the entirety of human history in sketch form. Join us as we uncover the mysteries of the past in our ongoing feature which we call History. It's not as good as it used to be. Having endured the growing pains of a great civil war, the young nation of America thrived and prospered in the latter part of the 19th century. Stories of great accomplishments on the frontier grew into tall tales, and none of those tales was quite so tall as the tale of Paul Bunyan. According to my calculations, he should be just over this mountain here. Walking over these mountains is a lot harder than griddle skating. Will you shut up about griddle skating? All I've heard across this entire continent is how this isn't like griddle skating, that isn't like griddle skating, and occasionally how something actually does put you in the mind of griddle skating. Is griddle skating literally your only reference point? You know, I once got into a griddle skating contest with I know damn well who you got into a griddle skating contest with. And those griddles sure were buttered after that contest. The logging village was out of butter for three months after that. Well, you sure did skate around like an ass on a giant novelty griddle with butter on your feet. But it's novelty that makes life interesting. The iron it took to make those two giant griddles, which, let's be clear, humans haven't invented the technology to fully heat 
could have been used to build a railroad to this godforsaken place so we wouldn't have to walk here. According to my calculations, it's not so bad. And shut up about your calculations. Just because they call you Johnny Inslinger doesn't make you good at math, or geography for that matter. I just hope we find the big guy soon is all. I'm not even sure why I came on this expedition. You know what it's like when your older brother is 63 axe handles high and you're only... Hey, Johnny, how many axe handles is four foot nine? Well, let me see. Don't strain yourself. Anyway, there was never enough food for me. I never even grew to a normal height, which is, I think, seven axe handles because of that. Oh, but Paul grew. Oh, great. Here's a giant double axe wielding maniac now. Hooray! Is that... my friends? Johnny Inkslinger, the logging camp bookkeeper. Tony Beaver, the other guy. And, and Cordwood Pete, my tiny little brother. I told you not to follow me here. I left for a reason. You left because a steam-powered tree cutter very narrowly beat you in a tree cutting contest. Not my world anymore. There's no room for old Paul Bunyan. Look around. There's nothing but room because you cut down all the trees. Oh, don't feel bad, big guy. If they had been a steam-powered griddle skater, I'd be unhappy too. Oh, right. You're the griddle skating guy. I can't believe you came all the way to Alaska just because somebody built a machine that can keep up with you. I think you'd be happy about that. Now the little guys can do as much work as you can. Maybe you can take a break and take your big blue ox on a, a honeymoon. When I came into this world, flown in by five storks. Flown in by five storks. Hey, so can you explain how those storks took you from our normal-sized mother's nethers to the giant cradle that just popped into existence in this middle of our town? Men made their way in this world with simple tools. Now it's all steam-powered tree cutters and cotton gins and spinny jennies. And don't get me started on steam drills. Now who the hell is this giant jackass? John Henry's the name. I was a steel driving man before I was plumb pushed out by contraptions. Now there's no room for old John Henry. There's so much room! You must be at least 60 axe handle tall! 67 hammer handles, actually. That matches my calculations. Shut up, Johnny! So you're both just up here sulking in God's endless majesty, complaining about how there isn't any room. It's just the two of you, right? You didn't find any damn Canadian giants on your way up to Alaska, did you? Nope. Just flying canoes and ghost trains. Ah! Ah! You two giant sissies yelping about. I'm just lying a cigarette. You made fire happen. From your hands. You mean with this match? Time was only giant men could make fire. Now I reckon anyone could do it. There's no room for us anymore. Gosh, Paul, we really like her if you came back. We surely would. I reckon the railroad folk would be awfully happy to see Mr. Henry go back to work as well. We're not going back. We're starting our own. What do you call a logging camp when you're not actually logging? It doesn't matter. We're providing a place for all displaced giants. Jeff Mountainhead is on his way now. And we've put feelers out to Jacques Tregland, Pablo Moelto, and Trey Altcresca. I don't know who any of those people are. Well, you're short. You wouldn't.
Introducing taxi action figures from Caprito. Posable 8-inch likenesses of the whole gang from everyone's favorite melancholy comedy drama. They're not losers. They're just in transitional phases. We've got all your favorites. Tony. Yo, my name is Tony. Latka. Thank you very much. Reverend Jim. What does a yellow light mean? And everyone's favorite, Alex. It's okay. I'm not really a cab driver. I'm just waiting for something better to come along. Like death. Come on, it's my turn to be Alex. I want to give Bobby advice on his failing career as an actor. I want to deliver a stirring monologue about loneliness. And the Sunshine Cab's garage playset comes with a filthy payphone and dispatch cage for Louie, complete with working microphone. All right, listen up, you losers. Taxi action figures feature over two points of articulation. From Caprito, makers of the MASH 4077th surgery playset and the talking Archie Bunker doll. Each one separately, laying automatically because she's a girl. I want to thank you all for coming in on such short notice. The hell was that? Hey, what's with the security out front? Freaking pig made me show ID before he let me enter. Is this a radio station, man, or Tiananmen Square? I'm uh, not sure they asked anyone for ID in Tiananmen Square. I'm just saying I'm employed by this station as talent. I've never had to tell anyone who I am before. Wait, who the hell are you? I'm Jack Flashback. Nope, never heard of you. Host of 1120 Hindsight with Jack Flashback. Rick, I've been at this station for 27 years now, and I can say without fear of contradiction that I have no idea who you are. He's on just before the Noontime Artist Spotlight. Wait, who the hell's this Jagoff? Listen, everyone. As general manager, sometimes it's my duty to bring you bad news. And sometimes I get to tell you that we've fired Cooter and the Bear. What? Fired? Scandalous. Well, it's about goddamn time. But who'll be my lead-in now? Oh, this is bogus, man. What is that noise? Oh, that's just Mikey after midnight. He lives inside the walls of the station during the day. I found if you just extend your fist in just the right spot and wait for him to scurry by. Ow. Et voila. Well, I don't suppose he had to show any ID from inside the walls. Good God, man. If it bothers you that much, I can sell you a fake ID. I have a whole elaborate Rube Goldberg-style machine for manufacturing them in my car. Aaron, you don't own a car. That's odd, the fake title and registration I printed up says I do. Mikey, I'm glad you're here, because you need to hear this news as well. We'll talk about your illegal squatting after this meeting. Well, I'm just crashing here till early pre-registration begins for Warlock Again. Then I can sleep on a pile of 4XL group t-shirts at the convention center for a few months while I practice doing my PA announcements. Let me read you all this official press release we typed up this morning. Radio station SVFM has fired controversial morning shock jocks Cooter and the Bear. Is that it? Yes. What the little bastards do? We're not at liberty Found to... it. God damn internet. Here you go, everyone. It's 618, 16 minutes past 2 past the hour, 114 minutes till 814. Coming up, we've got our intern turd dressed in a giant foam Oreo costume, teetering precariously over a dunk tank filled with diarrhea. But first, here's Taylor Swift. Nice to meet you. That's it? That's what they got fired for? Well, the FCC did a spectral analysis of the clip, and they apparently heard the bear saying, God damn it, way in the background. And they have a zero-tolerance policy for blasphemy. I'm a bit surprised to hear they've been dismissed over this. 
given that they have a weekly promotion called Whip Out Your Cock. Oh, I thought they were talking about roosters there. Sure. That's the incredibly flimsy cover story they've used to trick the unhip dads. Sorry. Anyway, the FCC wants to make it clear that they will not stand for any further incidents of taking the Lord's name in vain from this station. So much for the separation of church and state, man. Grow up, flashback. Church and state haven't been separate for at least as long as Bert and Lonnie have been. And I'm the unhip one? So, uh, what happens now? We stop doing the shock jock thing? Oh, God, no. We still have Booger and Todd in the afternoon drive, Fuzzy Fart Storm and the Rowdy Fart Cloud crew in the evenings, and porn, sports, and porn on late nights. Uh, sir? What happens to me? Ah, young turd. Technically, you're the property of this station. You mean this Oreo costume is? I had a hard time getting out of it, but I'm sure I can... No, I actually mean you personally. The laws involving radio internships were exempted when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Um, but radio was invented... Silence, slave! Now, does anyone here need an intern? Ah, uh, yeah, I'll take him. Come on, kid, I have some envelopes for you to lick. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, they're in my neighbor's mailbox. Oh. Wendy? Wendy? I've come back for you, Wendy. <gasps> Wendy, why are you screaming? Don't you remember me? Mother. Mother? Oh, you're not Wendy. You're not even a girl. You look a bit like a girl. Oh, but all the fancy lads keep their hair this way. What's wrong? Oh, dear Lord, it's you. Wendy, what happened? You... you... I grew up, Peter. You've been gone over 40 years. I couldn't stay 15 forever. I'm surprised you still remember me. I'm old, Peter, not stupid. And I could hardly forget the father of my children, now could I? Wait, what? I realized I was pregnant a few weeks after you left me and my brothers back in our regular, ordinary, magicless lives. My taste buds desired odd things, like spotted dick covered in mustard. I don't know how you left your insipid seed inside me. Do you realize how hard it was to explain to my parents? They almost had my brothers and me committed. The only thing that stopped them was the overcrowding in the asylums. I don't even understand what a kiss is. And yet the strongest abstinence wasn't enough to ward off a child. Or three. I only left for a few minutes. I never... Landed so far from your time, Mark? I bet you've been off cavorting with that indigenous slag, Tiger Lily. This is all coming out of left field. I may have taken a short nap, but Tink was positive she woke me up at the right time. Don't bring that bitchy ball of sparkles into this. Bitchy? Don't repeat that word, darling. I'm sorry, Wendy. What can I do? You can start by paying child support, which we definitely have here in Victorian London. I have pixie dust. I don't want your glitter. Glitter! Oh, my. Whee! Mommy, I'm flying! Why aren't you flying, Wendy? My thoughts are anything but happy. Welcome back to There on Petard. I'm your host, Rod Ferris. With us now is Dr. Liam Amethyst, who has apparently developed a revolutionary new method for solving world hunger. Dr. Amethyst, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Rod. I should mention, actually, I'm legally obligated to mention that I'm not actually a medical doctor, whatever that means. Well, Miss Amethyst, I think the world has more or less reached a consensus on what that means. If by the world, you mean the Western establishment? 
My holistic approach encompasses the wisdom of ancient peoples and eschews the juvenile notions of observable phenomena and repeatable results. So, so, so what are you a doctor of then? I, I assume you must at least have a PhD. I have a number of legitimate credentials from bona fide established institutions that aren't necessarily tied to a physical location. As such. So you clicked on your mouse a few times on one of those uh, online diploma mills. Well, if you want to get reductive about it, I'm also ordained in a number of ologies and anonymy. So enough about your uh, qualifications, dubious though they might be. Tell us about how you intend to feed the hungry. It's quite simple, actually. By applying the time-honored principles of homeopathy, we can make one so-called serving of food feed hundreds. Homeopathy. That's that's the one where you put a tiny, tiny amount of substance and a huge amount of something, like like water, right? That's right. Water is much more plentiful than, say, rice. One grain of rice in 10,000 gallons of water could feed an entire village for a year. <laughs> I think I've heard everything I need. If I could just ask you to take a big breath of air right now. What, what are you talking? You better hurry up and take that breath. <laughs> We've opened the trapdoor under your seat, releasing you into a massive tank of water under the studio. Those molecules of air you just took into your lungs by your own reckoning should enable you to survive in there for days. We'll check back with you later. It's time for another break. But when we return, we'll be hearing from celebrity spokesperson Jenny McCarthy. Stay tuned, America. Greetings, shirkers of the daylight. This is Admiral Aaron Fawcett of the Darkness Brigade welcoming you to another trip into the inner deeps of lies, conspiracies, regular piracies, and plots hatched by wizards. We got a... Well, let's be honest, it's not a great show ahead of us. I got a touch of the flu, and your boy's not doing so hot tonight. On that note, let's not stop never going to the phones. Witches bra from Wichita, you're on the Aaron. Air. Aaron, I'm calling from a powder blue dome 28 miles below the surface of the ocean. Oh, the fish I see down here, Aaron. Oh, good God, the fish. Do you even... I really don't call her, having never seen a fish and being pretty sure that they're a lie put in place by industrial-strength fat cats to key the tuna industry both thriving and full of deadly mercury. Sailor Mercury. I'm calling about an encounter I encountered with a deadly six-armed octopus. Two of its arms were legs, and two of those legs were pegs. It stole my aqua, aqua, aqua car, and vanished from the floor crack. I've heard rumors of dangerous pyroctopuses beneath our ocean's waves, but never gave them any credence. Because, as I said before, I don't believe in fish. Still, it was good to hear a familiar voice. Keep your face wet, Wichita. I ate a horse. Line six, give me that sweet, sweet ear music. Jeremiah Horrocks. Oh man, I don't need your life story. I woke up this morning with cuff marks all over my body. I'm worried it was the Superbad. Jeremiah, we all know that the Superbad is too busy protecting the moon from so-called rocket ships. And I don't care how many times Buzz Aldrin punches me in the nose, it is impossible to land something on the moon with that invisible Superbad in the way. Jeremiah, you're bordering on dog barrel ridiculous. It casts a shadow. But I thought it was invisible. And I thought I didn't want your life story. What's with the internal monologue? I shouldn't know what you're thinking. I don't what anyone's thinking except for that dreamy Jamie McTavish. Are you a mom? Next up, it's a 
can't read this text. Uh, is this some kind of backwards moon speak? Aaron, this is Nostradamus. I thought you died in the fifth quatrain. Oh, I do. Listen, I predicted the invention of your show when I talked to my friend Leonardo da Vinci about inventing me a telephone to call you from here in 1520. Hi, Adam. Are you talking about some kind of time telephone? I knew you would say that. Well, you seem to have all the answers, Mr. Hunchback, of... you. What do you need me for? I just wanted to confirm my prediction that one day a device will be created. A, a device like a giant metal beast that allows you to store your food within its very belly. And inside this artificial metal beast belly, the food is kept chilled to preserve it, utilizing principles of which we have no concept in my time. And then, assuming this prediction is accurate, further assuming that these devices are in common use, and even further assuming that you yourself have one, my question to you, Aaron, is... Is yours running? <laughs> oh, what a stupid guy. Possibly the second or third most elaborate prank call I've ever received from the past. Line two, we haven't heard from you in a while. Aaron, this is Aaron. Nope. Moving on. Line cloud mushroom guy. Oh, I must have gotten a couple of one-ups. Uh, go ahead on. Oh, we're off to a groovy start here. All your published, self-published, and unpublished works put you strictly anti-ghost pro-exorcism. I think my stance on ecto-matters has been pretty consistent. I say the corporeal plane is for the corporeal. You can go float your cups on some other plane, but I have, have had it with these motherfucking cups on this motherfucking plane. Then explain what is an obvious haunting of you by Winchester uh, well, I'd, I'd like to answer that, uh, accusation in, uh, in quite some detail, but, uh, line four, it's your turn. Aaron, this is Pig Stevenson. It has come to my attention that you, as a so-called conspiracy guru, are a little more than a common sheeple. In the last 9,855 episodes of your show, you have made no mention of Knowles, Grassy, or otherwise. You've dismissed the hollow earth truthers out of hand, and I can clearly hear the fluoride in the water you are drinking at this moment. Ah, uh, uh, what is this, amateur hour? In Masons, you did an entire week from inside the Mason jar, but not so much as a passing reference. All right, that's about enough of that. Turd, get in here! Yes, Mr. Fawcett? Don't call me Mr. Fawcett. Mr. Fawcett died of mysterious unrelated causes in 1978. Unrelated to what? Never you mind. What kind of penny ante wooden nickel dime store phone screener are you? Those last three calls were quite clearly on my do not answer list. Have you even read my lists? I know it's your first day here, so I set the opening barrage at seven. Uh, was that the one written in blood or the one written in toothpaste? If you can't even tell the difference between two common household what goddamn good are you any goddamn how? I don't know, sir. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. You're damn right you're sorry. Now you get that. Go get that Smokey the Bear costume on. Get outside and start lighting fires! What, as like a promotion for the station? Yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Um, well, alright. Should I mention our call letters or something? God, no! What kind of heats more are you? I don't know what that means. Out!
We'll be back after this word from Winchester Tires. Line 27, I feel like I'm going to regret this, but uh, go ahead, I guess. Ah, Eron. Good. Hello, yes. This is Balaban. Do you mean popular character actor Bob Balaban, known for his uncredited roles in Little Man Tate, The Tuxedo, and City Slickers 2, the... No. Let me finish. City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold? Still no. This is the little-known, often discredited, amateur cryptozoologist Balaban. Well, you've picked with my interest. I wanted to share with you, if I may, my current whereabouts and activities. You may share them? Somewhere. Perhaps among the myriad islands of the South Pacific. Perhaps in an obscure suburb of Baltimore called Arbutus. Perhaps only in the minds of children truly believe. There is a creature. Well, yes, I'm sure there is. Thanks for calling, Balaban. Coyote! I wasn't finished yet. Sorry, it's just with those long, dramatic pauses you're taking, it's kind of hard to tell. I'm trying to... Is it the mood? Which brings me back to the wily beast I am presently trekking. It is a particularly elusive creature, known to many as... You want to hurry this up there, Muffin Top? The radio transmitter actually switches off if it thinks nobody's talking. Ah, you cannot rush these things. Much like the tender, delicate seduction in which I engage, timing is of the essence. Oh, Christ, are you one of those people who post the Man Seeks Sasquatch ads in the back of Fortean Times? Because listen... I don't judge, but you people are disgusting. Well, if that's how you're going to be, I thought I was reaching out to another sensitive seeker of nature's bountiful glory holes. But it seems you are just like all the rest. Dry and unyielding. Well, if there's one thing people can say about me, it's that. Also, I have an old truck I like to work on. Next up, we have Capricorn, all the way from Candle's Horn in the northern Dakotas. Go for Aaron. Aaron, this is a complex problem with not obvious solutions. For you see, my aunt, such as she was, uh, uh, but then there was the chickadees in the summer, for which of us could never truly judge, but, but I digress. In the internal war that comes, uh, for being Paris, it was the springtime when the doves are in bloom for ship of wine upon our porch. Dream of a time, not just remember. All of them excellent points, Capricorn, but none really important in the long run. I, too, find myself dreaming of a time not so long ago when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. Alas, it's true what they say. You can't go home again, and on that sad note, we'll be back after this word from Winchester Tires.
Winchester tires. We're back. Line, uh, I, I don't know, uh, six. You're on the air. Aaron, this is Fater. I'm calling to deliver an important message. Well, I'm listening. Aaron, I want to make it clear to everyone out there that dogs, you know dogs, right? I mean, I know of them, yes. Yes. So, dogs are not vampires. So noted. Our final caller for the night comes all the way from the dank province in Rasper's Tongue, Michigan. Go ahead on. Aaron, this is the legendary Rasper's Tongue Rasper. You may have heard tales of me clinging to lampposts after midnight, spreading my leathery wings over the homes of the elderly on the nights of their death, and perching over infant cribs as I draw breath from them. But tonight I'm here to talk about something far more important. Reading. Yes, Aaron, it's a sad truth that fewer and fewer American children are reading every year. All that time is being spent in front of the television or playing on the Nintendos. Who among us can say that the newest Pac-Man is more fun than traveling down the lazy Mississippi with Huck Finn and Captain Nemo? I think those were characters from two different books, Rasper. Oh, well... I can't actually read so much as I grind flesh between my sandpapery thighs. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. Join us tomorrow. Or don't, whatever. So, Jimmy, this is your first night here at the Hall of Presidents. Now, they didn't tell you this when they hired you. But this is a place full of magicness and wonder. No, I think that came up a lot. It was in the orientation packet, in the training video, in the contract documents, in the mysterious hiring notice written in Elvish that I received by a Kestrel, and then, of course, there's that sign in the break room. What break room? Um, the one inside the linen closet. Magic. Where did those tiny bells... Wait, where'd you go? Mr. Stewart? Magic. Well, now who am I supposed to talk to? What about me? Benjamin Franklin? No, you soft-headed knickerbocker. He wasn't even a president. It's me, Rutherford B. Hayes. Don't you recognize me? Uh, which money are you on? Listen here, you absolute zounderkite. You don't have to be on money to be important. They named a spinning wheel company after me. Don't listen to anything this bleeding ninny hammer has to say. Listen to me, James K. Polk. Oh, I remember you from that They Might Be Giants song. That was a great album, real turning point for them. Ow, ow, ow. Well, I can't say I wasn't warned about the magic. Magic. Well, you know, these old museums tend to creak and settle over time. God, you sort of just scuttled up on me there. That's unsettling. Thing is, my lower half, which I assure you was once human, is now a crab. How? It was a mishap involving... I don't know, the Maryland flag, probably. Well, you know what they say in Maryland. Fatty, mashy, parole, feminine <coughs> Who was that? Magic again? Oh, that was probably Harrison. Ford? Did somebody say- No! Oh, that's right. They did me a- Oh! Matt, you just made Gerald Ford fall down. That's not what he's known for. He was known for opposing Bartle J. Jonkman in the 1948 Republican primary. I am well aware of Gerald Ford's opponents and their suspicious similarities to Mega Man bosses. Airman was the hardest. How does he know that? I don't know that. It must be some kind of... You know, some kind of... Uh... Jason? Yeah, sorry, this uh, sketch has gone past the union-mandated 17-page limit. 
I'm on my break. <sighs> Sweet nicotine. Are you still doing this president's thing? Nobody's noticed or cared about that for years. Now. I still have 27 to go. I can do this. You, you know we have, let's say, more qualified voice actors for this sort of thing. Silence! Thou shalt have no presidents before me. Now get out of here. I can blow through the other 27 if you just... Al, honey, come on. We're done here. Take my hand. Oh, okay. So, were we even going to explain this premise, or...? Ghastly. And we're back. We're back. Why aren't they applauding? Well, they're probably terrified to do anything after you yelled at them earlier. Jeez, you make me sound like some kind of moody, easily offended tyrant, Matt. I say, you make me sound like- Yep, yeah, no, I heard you. It's best to just stay very still at times like this. That's sharks, Matt. I thought you were supposed to hit a shark in the nose. When it attacks you, right? No, in general, you just punch as many sharks in the nose as possible. Presumably to punish them for jabberjaw. <laughs> what did I tell you people about that? Okay, so now it's time for a little Q&A. Does anyone in our studio audience have a question? Anyone at all? What is wrong with these people? I think I see someone in the back not cowering in fear. You there, sir, uh, do you have a question? Uh, y uh, yes. Um, tell me about a challenge or conflict you faced at work and how you dealt with it. Well, uh, excellent question. Uh, one time when I was at work, a guy came into my store with his dick bitten off by a, uh, praying mantis. Uh, you know, I had to call the police and, uh, get him to safety. He died. I think sometimes I work too hard. Any more questions? Yes, how many tennis balls can you fit in a limousine? Six. Six tennis balls. Ha <laughs> ha! Never gets old. No, what you want to do is replace the tires on the limousine with giant tennis balls. That way, not only does it roll well, but it also bounces. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode. If you'd like to write to the show, the email address is sarcasticvoyage at gmail.com. Our website, where you can get cool stuff like our recent full-length radio play, Kill the Front Page or download free bonus artwork, or browse through the over 300 sketches we've produced, is, as ever, sarcasticvoyage.com. We'll be back in three weeks, and until then, we wish you safe journeys. Safe journeys, everyone. This episode of the Sarcastic Voyage podcast starred Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, with Duncan Bosco, Mark Bosco, Dave Fields, Danielle Kale Gregoire, Nathan Lajeunesse, Joseph Rabinson, Amanda Smith, Sabrina Snyder, and Jason Wallace. It was written by Ron Algar-Watt with Duncan Bosco, Matt Robotham, Amanda Smith, and Jason Wallace. It was produced by Algar Productions, copyright 2015. I'm not crazy, am I? Recording a sketch comedy podcast in space is, like, super impractical. I mean, I know a lot of people in and around comedy. I could get us a theater or a studio. Well, when you've been around the old sarcastic voyage as long as I have, you start to pick up a few things. Oh? It's not about practicality or getting paid. He did put that right in the name. Unpaid voice acting players. I thought that was a cute joke. Turns out it's not a joke. It's not exactly about jokes either, though. 
or the size of the audience, or a consistent level of quality, or a reliable release schedule, or the sheer fun of it. It's not really about any of those things. Well, what is it about then? 